Um, am I allowed to say that? Where is the love? So now I am here with Brent, and this is probably going to be the least smooth episode <laughs> that I have posted. It's not going to have the greatest transitions. Um, we are just going to try to make it through and share our story. So in... May, I think it was May, right? Like the beginning of May? I don't know what you're about to say. Okay. <laughs> this is off to a great start. Um, when we found out we were pregnant. Mm. Um, Everything is like run together. Yeah I, yeah, I know. Yeah, somewhere around there. Because when we found out I was pregnant, I was already like five weeks. Mm-hmm. So... We, um, I had been, I was in Columbus, um, and I was with some friends and I had felt kind of dizzy a couple times, uh, throughout the day, but, um, you know, we've been trying to get pregnant for now is 21 months. Can you believe that? (laughs) Um, we've been trying to get pregnant for almost two years and, Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to say like, oh, I'm dizzy. I think I'm pregnant, you know, and just create this, you know, hysteria of everyone getting excited and then being let down. So I didn't say anything, but I got home and uh, Brent was actually working outside with his dad and I went to take a shower and before I got in the shower, I thought, well, let me just take a pregnancy test just in case it was around the time um, that my period was due and I was like, I'll just take a test, you know, even though I kind of don't really feel like I'm pregnant. And, um, I, I took a test and then I ran to get something and then I came back in and there were two lines on the test, which after, at that time it was like 19 months of trying. Um, I had never seen before and I felt like, my heart was going to beat out of my chest and I ran and I, I was trying to be casual because, you know, Brent's dad was here and I was, I ran out and I was like, Hey, I was like, babe, can you come here for a second? (laughs) And, um, Brent came back in the bedroom and I told him, I was like, I'm pregnant. So we did it. I'm pregnant. And we just had this moment together and, um, Brent kind of cleaned up some things with his dad And then they left and, you know, we wanted to confirm everything with like a hundred pregnancy tests. Like we wanted, we wanted like 15 positives before we went and told anyone. Um, And so we went to the drugstore and we got, um, we got some pregnancy tests and we got the digital test, which will tell you yes or no. So, you know, if you're not sure if there's a line or if there is a line. Yeah, I don't know who came up with the the line idea. It's a terrible idea. Yeah, so, but, you Just know. Just say pregnant or not pregnant. Yeah, so you Gosh. can get a digital test. Um, oh, my God, there's so much I could go into with that, with EVAP lines. But maybe I'll, that's like a whole separate, like, trying to conceive 
women's group. But, um, yeah, you can get a digital test, which will literally just tell you pregnant, not pregnant, or yes or no. So we got those, and we came. We were driving back from the drugstore, and I told Brent, I was like, so at this point, which I, f- I forgot to mention, it was like 6 p.m., and I took a test at like 5.45 p.m., and for those of you who um, have ever been in the fertility game of trying to conceive, you know that taking a test in the evening is just, it's not what you do. You take a test first thing in the morning, and um, so the fact that I saw a line on the test at that point, I was like, oh my gosh, I am 100% pregnant, but let's go buy a bunch of pregnancy tests. So we came back home and on the way home, I was telling Brent, I'm like, you know, it's really late in the evening. And so even if, you know, the digital test says no, you know, that's okay. We can still test in the morning before we tell people, um, because you know, it's, it's really late. So we got home, we took the digital test and, um, I was like pacing the room just on the opposite side of the room. And Brent, was um, kind of standing right by the standing right by the test, and <laughs> sorry, I had to burp. <laughs> so sorry. Um, Brent was standing by the test, and um, all he did was point to it, and I'm like, "What does it say?" He's not saying a word, so I, you didn't, you just pointed. You just pointed to it. I was I'm like in shock. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what if that is like, hey, this is a no, you know, like or if it's yes. So I run across the room and I see that it says yes. It was the first yes that we've that we had gotten after like nineteen to twenty months of trying. And um that was really the moment that solidified everything. We were like we freaking did it. Like we are a hundred percent pregnant right now. And we dropped everything and, um, ran to tell our family. And we started off at my sister's house and we told her we recorded everything, you know, we recorded everyone's reactions and, um, we were just so, so excited and everyone was excited with us. Yeah, we were crying. We People were, were crying. Yeah, we were crying. Everyone was crying. When when Brent saw that yes, he um, just put his face in his shirt and started sobbing because, I mean, for those of you who have ever been trying to conceive, I cannot. You know how many times you get a negative test. And there were so many moments that Brent had to be strong for me. And um, just getting, you know, that seeing that yes, it was like finally a moment where um, it was over. It was over. Yeah. And the wait was over. <clears throat> yeah. The wait was over and like the f- it felt like the fight was over, you know. Um, 
we just felt like, okay, like, this is our miracle. Like, our miracle is here, and, um, so a couple weeks later, we had a trip to Tennessee planned. You're gonna have to take over. Um, We'll We'll just start it here. So we, a couple weeks after that, we had this trip planned to Tennessee, and we are on the way down, and we literally just cross over into Tennessee, and we stop to get gas and use the restroom. Well, on the way down there, I had been, like, having really bad cramps. Right. And I didn't know if it was normal, so... Yeah, that's right. And we and you ended up calling, um, like, your doctor's yeah. office, and they basically <laughs> said, like, keep an eye on it, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and so we, like, cross over into Tennessee, and we stop at this gas station, use the restroom, and I just remember this look that Celeste gave me when I came in from pumping gas and she was coming out. Just this look of horror. And I just immediately knew something was wrong. It was like that moment in the movies. I think you've even like shared mm-hmm. some like some of this in our in the story later on <clears throat> like where stuff just like slows down time just like feels like it moves at an eighth of the speed and so we get in the car and Celeste is sobbing um and just like knows so I mean just a little Backstory: When I called my doctor's office, I told them that I was having really bad cramps. And they were like, you know, that can be normal. Your uterus is expanding. It's growing. And they said, you know, don't, like, don't worry unless there's blood. And when we stopped at the gas station, I realized that I was bleeding. And that's when I, I mean, it was like I couldn't see. It was like I knew in that moment that something, I, it was like I just. Something was wrong. I just knew. I just knew. And it just felt like everything was blurry. And then I just kept trying to find Brent. And um, that's when we got in the car. And we headed to the closest hospital that we could find. And when we got there, I they were asking me why I was there and I literally couldn't even stop crying for a second to tell them why I had to write it down. Um, because I just knew that something, I I just felt like something awful was happening and I was so scared. And, um, we got back to, um, our room and the, the minutes felt like second, like the hours felt like seconds. Yeah, normally when you go to the <clears throat> ER, you feel like you're there forever, right? Like 
I've been to the ER when I was like really sick before, mm-hmm. and it just feels like you're yeah. there for an eternity. It felt like we were there so yeah fast. Yeah it it was like the time sped up somehow because I remember my sister calling me because they were running all these tests they were doing blood tests and she was like you're still there and I was like yeah we just got here and we had been there for like three hours Mm -hmm. and it just it didn't feel like that because everything felt so surreal and um I remember like laying in the hospital bed and just putting my arms around my stomach and just like praying and pleading with God that our baby was going to be okay. Um, like I just prayed over and over again. I was like, God, please let our baby be okay. Please let it be okay. Um, and then the doctor came in and essentially like long story short told us that, um, said that we had lost the pregnancy and that Celeste's uterus was empty, to which she has told me then it was like the moment in the movies where, like, you don't hear anything else. Yeah, it was like he said that, and it was like everything... It was like he kept talking, but I just saw his mouth moving. Um, and I know that, that that's actually how it was because mm-mm. he was, like, saying things, and then you came back, like, you came to almost and yeah. started asking questions that he had just answered. Yeah. Like, <laughs> at, you know, like saying, well, what about, the, and he had just gone over this. Mm-hmm. You know, so like that, that that was 100% real Mm -hmm. in that moment. And at this point, we're in Tennessee and we had already paid for our hotel and we're like, okay, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to stay here? Are we going to drive home? We've already paid for this hotel. And we were just exhausted. Mm -hmm. We were so tired. Been driving all day. Yeah. Then at the ER for hours. Yeah. And. Um, so we decided to stay there. And I think one thing that I'll, I'll never forget is like, you just know how, how dark hotel rooms are. Like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you open your eyes, it's like your eyes are still closed because it's so dark. And, um, I remember just like waking up and just like screaming, crying and, just feeling like Brent reach over and and grab me and, and just hold me and us just going through like that grieving process over the next several days that we were there and I remember for the first time in my life I from the moment we found out um I just, I did not, like, say a word to God. Um, 
I, I just had nothing to say. And so for the first time in my life, it was like I went from a Wednesday to a Sunday without, without talking to God at all for the first time in my Christian walk since I was eight years old. And, um... And I just, I remember thinking in my mind, like, I'm not sure what God expects me to say. So I hadn't talked to God at all and just completely devastated, completely heartbroken. And um, we were just grieving. And that happened on a Wednesday. And then on a Sunday, Brent said that he still wanted to go to this church, which I did not want to go to. (laughs) Um, so we show up at this church and, um, we actually showed up a couple minutes late because I didn't want to sit in the front. And I mean, I didn't want to be there in general, let alone like be in the front row. And (laughs) what I didn't realize was that everyone who showed up early sat in the back actually knew what they were doing because they got to sit in the back. So we show up a couple minutes late, and the usher literally calls us to the front of... Like walks us down. <laughs> I'm talking front row. I was yeah, next to we the were, camera guy. Yep. And, like, the pastor who we didn't know. Yeah. He's, like... The usher is, like, showing us where to go. And I remember just kind of stopping for a minute, and I'm like, oh, I... No. <laughs> like... I can't go sit there and Brent walks in front of me and I didn't know if I was on camera or not because the camera guy was so close. Yeah, he was like right next <laughs> so to So I just walked right next to Brent and um, it was in the middle of worship and I kind of just, I kind of just had my arms crossed and my my posture towards God was just not knowing what to say. It wasn't renouncing my faith. It wasn't I don't believe in God anymore. But I just remember thinking, God, what do you expect me to say right now? And um, so I was just, I was standing there and I hadn't talked to God since Wednesday. And I felt betrayed. Like the God that I knew was actually not the God that I knew. Because the God that I knew wouldn't do this to me. And I'm standing there with my arms crossed And I felt God speak to me and say to me, I never wanted this for you. And I will never forget that as long as I live because in that moment, it made me realize like it wasn't me and God in a boxing ring together, which is what I felt like. But it was me and God together in a boxing ring against everything else. Mm Mm-hmm everything else in the world and I mean the Bible literally says like your fight it's not against flesh and blood right but it's against the you know the the powers and the principalities yeah and things that like we literally can't see yeah and I think what stuck out to me most in that moment is that even though I was not pursuing the voice of God, that God's voice was still pursuing me. And I didn't even tell Brent this when we left the church because I was still just so angry and heartbroken. Um, 
But one thing that I promised myself during this process is that I was going to walk through it honestly. Like, I wasn't going to say things I didn't mean. Um, and that I was going to allow myself to go through the process of this. And I think it was really frustrating, probably for you in our marriage, because I know there were times when you, you know, in the days to follow of us experiencing this tragedy that you would like try to encourage me. And I just was not having it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I told Brent, I was like, listen, I love you and I appreciate you, but there are things that only God is going to be able to speak to me right now. And only God is going to be able to do in me right now. Mm -hmm. Um, just such a man thing to like try to fix it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You were like trying to fix it. And I was like, shut up. Yeah, shut it down. <laughs> shut your mouth. Um, but I feel like I I I don't want to you know share too much of where I was at with this during the time. Is there anything that you want to share? Um, it very much felt like I think for the both of us, like how could this happen? Yeah. I mean, we thought, like, here's the miracle that we've been waiting on. It's here. And just, I don't think either of us ever in our minds thought that this would be the situation that would unfold. And so, yeah, I mean, I just immediately was questioning, like, how could this happen? Why would God let this happen? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and continued to question that for a while, but I think that I pretty quickly went to like, went, went to the thought process of like, this, this is not God's doing. Like, we're not like you said, like, I think I, I went very quickly to like, yeah, we're not there, going you went there quicker than I did. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That like we're, this is not us against God, and like He He took this away from us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I think I very, very quickly kind of went to like God is going to be our answer in all of this, mm-hmm. and and Jesus is going to be our answer in all of this. And yeah, I, I I have some more comments at the end, but I don't know if you if you have anything else that you yeah, wanted to say. That that was more of a process. Um, for me, because you don't really believe what you think you believe until you carry it into a tragedy. And so you actually have to live it out. And I believed all the things that Brent's saying. Like, I believe, oh, God doesn't do these things to us. You know, like, this is not God's doing. This is, you know, God's a miracle worker. But then when you actually carry it into a tragedy, you begin to question, like, everything that that I, I mean, I began to question everything that I believed, um, and everything that I had said from the stage and just like, do I fully believe that? And I think it, it changed my faith so much because it just took me through the process of grief. And, and I told Brent, you know, I obviously, you know, have walked through grief and tragedy before I lost my dad at 17 But even that was just different in the sense that, you know, you're eventually, not at 17, but you're eventually supposed to bury your parents. Um, But 
not your babies. So, um, yeah, I really had to, like, I really had to relearn my faith and who I actually believe that God was. And just knowing that, you know, we are living a human experience mm-hmm. and um, that God didn't cause this to happen to us. Yeah, you find out real quick if you believe that God is a good father. Yeah. You know, you, you, yeah. you, you, you find out real quick if you believe where it talks about, you know, if, if, if you know, your son came to you and asked, for, what is, what's the verse? Like, you asked for bread, like you wouldn't give him a rock, and, uh, you know what I mean? Or say, yeah. And, like, you find out real quick if you really do believe that if your earthly father, when you asked for bread, wouldn't give you a rock, how much mm-hmm. more your heavenly father wants to pour out good mm-hmm. gifts on you. I mean, I think that's the road that we had to cross and figure out. Do we believe this? Yeah. And I think that, and I, I've, I've shared this a little bit. If, if you've, follow Celeste and I or know us personally, but I I love the story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because I saw this little phrase in their story the other day and I and it did not resonate with me until I had walked through this where, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar builds this giant statue he basically forces everyone like hey when we play the music you're gonna bow down to the statue and if you don't we're gonna throw you in the fiery furnace and so they they play the music and these guys don't bow down and so they're brought before the king and they very respectfully and in honor say like we're sorry but we're not gonna bow down to you because the god that we serve is able to save us from the fiery furnace. And then this next line got me so good. And they said, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. Yeah. Even if he doesn't come through, even if we are thrown in the fiery furnace, and that is the end of our life, the end of our days, the, the like period at the end of our story, we're still not going to bow down. We're still not going to give up believing <clears throat> in God. Right. And I think that that is something that Celeste and I have just had to come to grips with. And live. <laughs> and live. 
that we're like, hey, our God is able to do this. Mm-hmm. Our God is able to work miracles. And you better believe that we're going to stand in faith. And that's what we're going to believe for. And we're going to pray for until we see it happen. But I think both of us are at the place where we're like, but even if he doesn't, mm-hmm. we'll still believe. Yeah. And... I think one thing that I wanted to touch on is just, like, how incredible some of the people around us have been. And, like, when we got back from Tennessee, um, there were just, like, there were flowers at our house, just people who came around us to support us, who just made meals for us and um, just held us up during a time where we were just so weak and felt like we just couldn't walk and the people who continue to check in on us after the fact, like not just the the day that it happened, but the people who continue to check in and um, and ask us like, hey, how are you doing? I know it's been two months, but I'm still thinking about you and I'm still hurting, you know, I'm still hurting for you. And I know that you're grieving and um, that has been so incredible just to know that you know we're not alone and um that other people have you know have walked through this and now have beautiful families like that has given me so much hope Mm -hmm. and I think there's one thing that I really needed during this time and that was for God to restore my hope you know for me to be able be able to envision us having a family and you know having kids and I just feel like God has restored so much hope in such a short amount of time. And, you know, we know, like, we know that the promise of God is that we will have a family. We know that that's a promise that we can cling to no matter what that looks like. And um, and that makes me hopeful for the future. Like, I, I can't say God is not faithful because our story's not over. You know, like our story is is still happening. We're still in the middle of it. And um, I think we just, we have so much hope and we have so much faith. And we wanted to talk about this because we know that other people have walked through this. And to be honest, I've seen, you know, social media posts about pregnancy loss. Um, I really don't like the M word because it kind of seems like it's your fault. So I don't use that word. I use the term pregnancy loss. Um, But I've seen so many posts about pregnancy loss that say, you know, you're, you're just as much as lovable now as you were before. And I haven't really been able to identify with any of these posts because I just feel like, you know, my identity is not in being a mom. It's in Jesus. And a desire of my heart is to be a mom, but that's not where my identity lies. And I think it's so important that when you're believing for something and when you're hoping for something, that you just know, like, your identity is not in being a wife. You know, your identity is not in being a mom. It's not being a pastor. It's not in having a ministry position. But your identity should be in Jesus. And... I think that's what has kind of brought us on the other side so quickly is just knowing that even though, you know, it being a mom felt like it crumbled for me 
so quickly that my identity still stands in Jesus and my hope still stands in Jesus. And, you know, we felt like things have just fallen apart around us, but there are still some, some things that st- that still stand and some promises that still stand. And <clears throat> we wanted to share our story and we wanted to do it together, which I mean, I, I couldn't get through this without Brent. Um, but we wanted to do it together because this is something that men and women experience together and that they walk through together. And hopefully just by sharing our experience with this, we're able to help somebody else, you know, who's going through it and be able to help them understand that being on the other side of this doesn't mean that, you know, you don't cry anymore or you don't have nights where you can't sleep. Um, but being on the other side means that you still have hope in Jesus. And, um, that you haven't given up. Can you close this episode? <laughs> Please. <clears throat> what do you mean to say? Just, um, you know, thanks for listening to our story. You know, I hope it gave you some help, please, or, you know, stay tuned for episode nine or something like that. What was the last thing you said? Stay tuned for episode nine. No, no, just in the recording. Oh, that being on the other side doesn't mean that you are over it. It -hmm. just means that you still have hope, like you Mm -hmm. still believe and you still have faith. So for anyone out there who is listening and you've been going through a difficult situation, you feel like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And it seems like every day that you wake up, it's not sunshine and rainbows, but it's clouds and rainy. And maybe you're not going through the exact same thing that Celeste and I went through, but you are going through something. You are in the midst of a storm. You are in the midst of a struggle. You are in the midst of loss or hurt, pain, rejection, whatever it is. Know that you are not alone in this. Know that there is still hope in Jesus. And please know that there are better days still to come. We want to pray for everyone out there who might be in the midst of their own storm and in the midst of their own chaos today. And so I'm just going to pray for you. Jesus, I pray for every single person 
that feels like they are far from you, Lord, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to them. Show them how how concerned you are with where they're at. And Lord, I pray that even if they're in the midst of the storm right now and they feel like their ship is sinking, Lord, I pray that you would just begin to walk out on the water. Call them out of their boat. Lord, I pray that you would restore hope, restore joy. Give them peace, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would stir up on the inside of them vision for the future. Today, it might look dark, it might look dim, but tomorrow is a new day. And the sun will shine again. And so, God, I thank you that even when they don't understand, even when they're still questioning, that you would give them peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We made it through that. <laughs> Do we need to have five? <laughs> I feel like we should. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I'm proud of us for doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned for episode nine. Thanks for listening today. And if you'd like to be notified when a new episode is released, you can subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram at Celeste underscore Ely.